Good afternoon, brothers and sisters, and all you who are guests worshiping with us today. Uh, a special day, of course, where we get to witness the sign and seal of baptism. Uh, we also express a welcome to those worshiping online via the live feed, and also we have Rev Reverend Wheelinga, who's willing to lead us in worship today. Uh, council has the following announcements. Um, we have a council meeting this Wednesday at 7.30. Uh, also a bit of a last minute reminder if you would like to submit nominations for uh, Elder, uh, please do so by the end of this evening. Uh, we also have an attestation from Al and Jeanette Vanderveen. Uh, welcome to our church here and we pray that you may be blessed by our communion of saints here. Our call to worship today comes from Deuteron Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, where through our call, the Lord says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Please stand and we'll begin the worship service. Congregation of the Lord, where does our help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Receive the Lord's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing together Psalm 107, stanzas 1 and 2. Yeah. 
The Lord our God has taken us to be his people in his grace in the Lord Jesus. He has saved us in the blood of his son and he has so set us free from the kingdom of darkness and the way of sin and he calls us to live for him and he has given us his word to show us the way to live in the spirit. We read God's word in Exodus 20, the 10 words of the covenant We also read the summary of the law from Matthew 22. This is the word of God. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain." Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day, Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. In Matthew 22, we read that the Lord Jesus was once asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And then the Lord Jesus replied, quoting from the Old Testament, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So far God's holy word, let us sing in response from Psalm 65, the stanzas 2 and 3.
Sacrament of Holy Baptism will now be administered to the newborn daughter of brother and sister Brad and Anthea Van Woodenberg. We will read the form for the baptism of infants as we find it in the Book of Praise on page 597. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of holy baptism is summarized as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for his children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are through baptism called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust him and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, for baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism, just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they without their knowledge received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and thus also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Therefore, in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. 
This circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the new dispensation, baptism has replaced circumcision. Therefore, infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament of God to his glory for our comfort and to the upbuilding of the congregation, let us call upon his holy name. Almighty eternal God, in your righteous judgment, you punish the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, but in your great mercy saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you in your infinite mercy will graciously look upon this your child and incorporate her by your Holy Spirit into your Son, Jesus Christ, so that she may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that she, following him day by day, may joyfully bear her cross and cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. Grant that she, comforted in you, may leave this life, which is no more than a constant death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ your Son. All this we ask through him, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. May I ask you, parents, to please come forward. Beloved in Christ the Lord, you have heard that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition, that it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose. You are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ, and thus as members of his church ought to be baptized. Second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament, summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? Third, do you promise as father and mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as she is able to understand and to have her instructed therein to the utmost of your power. What is your answer, Brother Van Woodenberg? I do. Sister Van Woodenberg. 
Ainsley Jean Van Woodenberg, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us now stand and sing hymn seven, stanzas one and two. give thanks. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son and so adopted us to be your children. You sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism we pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern this child by your Holy Spirit, that she may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness, and may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that she thus may acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy, which you have shown to her and to us all. May she live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King, and High Priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May she forever praise and magnify you and your Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one only true God. We thank and praise you, Heavenly Father, for the riches of your grace and loving kindness, we have heard your holy law again, and we acknowledge our deep need for the washing away of all our sins. We thank you for the gift of sins forgiven. We thank you for the sacrament to assure us of your forgiving grace. We thank you that you call us to a new life. We praise you, Lord God, for new life, not only physically, but spiritually. 
We thank you for the gift of Ainsley in the Van Woodenberg family. Lord, continue to be with Brad and Anthea. Give them all that they need to raise their children in the fear of your name with thanks and praise to you. We thank you for your faithfulness in the generations of the families of your people. Lord, we see with our eyes your fatherly love and goodness which extends from one generation to another. We thank you, Lord God, that you have also heard the prayers of your people for Brother Peter and Sister Mary Van Woodenberg. We thank you that they may be here too. Lord, how wondrous is your love and how faithful your work. You are compassionate and we commend our brother and sister to your ongoing care with their health needs. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life also in the Youngs family. We thank you with Reuben and Caitlin Youngs that you have given to them a baby girl. We praise you for your good work and your beautiful gift. Lord, bless the family. Provide for the parents in their role to raise up also this child in the fear of your name. And may also in due time the covenant sign and seal be given to this your child. We thank you, Lord, that we may be here together in worship. And we do ask that as we are here at your heavenly throne, that you will bless us by your presence with us here. Lord, we open your holy word. And we ask that you will provide for us with the grace of your spirit, the power of your spirit in our hearts. And may we respond with thanks and praise with trust and new obedience. Lord, look upon us in grace, accept all our thanksgiving, and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us open Holy Scripture and read God's word in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. We read in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel comes after the major prophets. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. We read from Daniel 1, the verses 1 through 8. And this will be the text for the sermon as well. Daniel 1, beginning at verse 1, this is the word of our God. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, 
endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So far the reading of God's holy word. Let us sing now Psalm 2, stanzas 1 and 2.
text for the sermon is the same as the scripture reading. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the book of Daniel, God's word to us, brings us to a place far away and a long time ago. The place is Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq, and the time is about 600 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So far away and long ago, God's Word brings it all right to us, closer to us here today. And spiritually speaking, what we read here is not so different, not so distant from what we and all God's people experience as His people in the world kingdom at different times. We live in a time, we live in a place right now where the world in which we live would love to make us and shape us into spiritual Babylonians, government-controlled education, perverse, immoral, cultural influences, good is called evil, evil is called good. We have all the delights of a world of riches and pleasures and power and science and elitism and celebrity and visuals and media and technology. And the world with various means wants to make us like Babylon wanted to make Daniel. And how easy it is to want to be made, to be shaped by the world. How attractive it is to feel relevant, useful for and secure in the world kingdom. And it's difficult to always go against the stream. It gets tiring, wearisome after a while. You have to be spiritually alert all the time. You have to be determined to resist. And there's need all the time for wisdom and courage. When the world threatens to swallow us up, what will we do? Does it matter to us? What would the Lord teach us about this in Daniel 1? Where the book of Daniel begins is not with Daniel himself. Where things begin is with the Lord God and his people Judah and Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, before Daniel 1 verse 1, So before the beginning of this Bible book, God and his people had had a very good thing going away from Babylon in the promised land. And there in the promised land, God was establishing his kingdom with a view to the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This was the work of God to set up a new order from heaven on earth, where sin and darkness 
were to be defeated and removed forever. The Lord God was setting up his kingdom in the promised land, which was a kingdom that was supposed to be different from the kingdom of this world. In that arrangement with God and his people in the promised land, on the way to Christ and the kingdom of heaven, the people of God, with their kings leading them, went rogue, became rebellious. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted, actually, to do the world's thing. God's people were not committed to the Lord God and not committed to putting the kingdom of darkness behind them. This is why Daniel and many others of God's people, this is why Daniel ended up in Babylon. It was the Lord God following through on his covenant threat. If you want sin, if you want sin, if you want to be under a different king than the Lord God and his Christ, then go to Babylon. God's people, Daniel included, did not end up in Babylon as victims, victims of circumstance, of history, victims of cruel Babylonians. No, God sent his people to Babylon. This is something that Daniel, and more besides him, no doubt, that Daniel knew very well. And if you want to know more about what Daniel knew about that, you can read his humble prayer in Daniel chapter 9. We didn't want to live for God and for his kingdom. Therefore, we are here languishing in Babylon. So, with that background, we read the beginning of Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, the king of God's people, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar with some of the vessels of the house of God. So, King Jehoiakim represents the people of God, Judah. And the vessels of the house of God represent God's temple presence with his people in the promised land. So, what's being told us here is the undoing, the unraveling of the blessing of the promised land. The unraveling of the kingdom of God by God's own doing. And how thorough this undoing, unraveling of the promised land was. Nebuchadnezzar brought the vessels of the house of God to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, to be sure, this did not make the Lord God, Judah's God, our God, the true God, didn't make him any less God. 
In fact, that's what the rest of the book of Daniel is about, right? God is still God. He is the great king, right in and over and through Babylon. So this, this is not a sign that God is a little bit less God, not at all. But this was a blow to God's rebellious and complacent people. The people, because of their sin, had lost the glory and the blessing of the kingdom of God, the land of promise. It had all become undone. All because Judah, the people of God, did not want to be distinct for him and for his kingdom, which was a kingdom from heaven and a kingdom opposite of sin and darkness. And now sin ruled over God's people who were buried among Babylonians. The glory of God represented in the vessels of the house of God was buried in the treasury of the gods of Babylon. So sin was on top and covenant bliss with God and his people in his kingdom was on the bottom. Now in all of this, God's own purpose was still prevailing going forward. That, that's what we read. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, and the Lord gave the vessels of the house of God. The Lord did it. He was still working, but here he was working to show what unbelief gets. The Lord is showing what disobedience to him gets to make the clear point that if God's people do not want the distinctiveness of the kingdom of Christ beyond the kingdom that is beyond the power of sin and death, then Babylon is the only alternative. Then you get brought under the power of a kingdom that is on the way to destruction. The whole theme of distinctiveness, being different as God's people, separated for him and for his kingdom from heaven, is a huge theme in what follows in the book of Daniel. Judah did not want to be separate from the nations, and now Judah, by God's design and in God's faithfulness, is tasting the fruit of joining the kingdom of sin. Now you're just going to be a bunch of new Babylonians, which is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had in mind. And now what will God's people do? What to do in Babylon? Well, you can, of course, go ahead and be a Babylonian like you always wanted to, or you can go with Daniel, who still remains with God, even in Babylon, because of the Spirit of Christ who was in him. When God's people find themselves, when we find ourselves surrounded in Babylon, 
or oppressed by sin around us in a Babylonian environment with sin having the upper hand all over the place. Don't have to look far. And when God's people find it increasingly difficult to find our groove or to hold the line in being distinct for God and for His kingdom, for Christ and for His throne, when we find ourselves like that in in our context, it doesn't hurt to begin with a good self-analysis. Do we really want to be distinct for God and for His kingdom and for Christ? Do we really seek the end of sin in the kingdom of Christ? Judah did not. Judah didn't. Jehoiakim, the king, didn't. And so God gave them what they wanted? Is the Lord God giving us what we wanted? That's not a bad question to begin with, to ask ourselves, right? It's no use complaining about our very Babylonian environment in today's North America. It's no use complaining if we were already being covert Babylonians, rogue people of God, behind our screens, in front of our mirrors, in our relationships and business practices, in our private worldliness? Why complain about our political and cultural environment if we were already being covert Babylonians? You reap what you sow. So self-analysis, examination is a good Good place to start. But there is also a different way to learn something here. Suppose we are, like Daniel and many others, a remnant for the Lord, being faithful in the promised land, loving God, loving the neighbor, waiting for Christ. And then with Daniel, we still end up here in Babylon with the crushing pressure of Babylon's sin all around us. What if we are the faithful remnant? How should we look at that? Well, understand that the Lord God is still God on His throne for us. And for His reason, He put us as well in a Babylonian situation. He has his purpose. And going through the book of Daniel, you find what that purpose is. The Lord's purpose is to prove himself in the distinctiveness of his kingdom. And we are to align with his purpose even in Babylon. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of the king of Babylon with some of the vessels of the house of God 
And do we still see it that way? The Lord gave. The Lord has His purpose. The Lord had His purpose even with those vessels of the house of God. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar's party and the writing on the wall. Everything is in God's purpose. When it is not clear why we must endure a Babylonian environment in our day, in our context, be sure that it is in the Lord's purpose in Christ to have us here. It is for us to trust His sovereign rule even when sin seems to have the upper hand all around us. And the Lord has us here to test our commitment to being distinct for Him. So we don't have to lose heart. Don't have to keep complaining about Babylon. Look to the Lord. He gave us into the hand of the Babylonians so that in this environment, ours today, we would keep going in faith in Christ. That we would find ways to be distinct for the Lord and for His kingdom as Daniel found a way to do. But before we get to that, we pay some attention to Nebuchadnezzar's plan. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, represents the world kingdom, the kingdom that is opposed to God. The Lord gave Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, along with the vessels of the house of God. Yes, the Lord gave His people over. But we should not then think that that the Lord is for Nebuchadnezzar. Nor should we think that Nebuchadnezzar actually cares about the Lord God. Nebuchadnezzar lives by the instincts of sin. And Nebuchadnezzar does what the world kingdom does best. Take what belongs to God and make it your own. He will take what is God's and thoroughly make it his own for his own purpose, for Nebuchadnezzar's own kingdom, and for Nebuchadnezzar's own glory. That's what the world in sin does, and we would too if the Lord was not gracious. The world takes the things that belong to God, even the very best things, and makes them subject to the world's plans and builds the world's glory out of God's things. This is why the world around us still has so much beauty, so much clever people, and so much power. The world has borrowed these things, stolen these things from God. He gave them to them, though the world won't acknowledge that these are God's things, that they come from Him, that they are intended for Him. 
Nebuchadnezzar took captive, and he added to his own empire for his own glory. And what we see then in his command to his chief of eunuchs, chief of staff, what we see is a typical world kingdom project. We'll take the best of the people of God's kingdom, the cream of the crop, both of the royal family and of the nobility, the youths who are still impressionable and teachable, who still have a future and whose future we can take and shape for ourselves. We'll take the youth without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, who understand learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and we'll teach them the language and the literature, the culture of the Chaldeans, which is the Babylonians. And we'll feed them with the best for our glory. We'll feed them from the king's table. Take the best of the people of God's kingdom and shape them into our shape and fill them with our filling and we'll have the best of everything. The best of God's kingdom plundered for our kingdom. The idea is clearly to swallow up the people of God take the best, make them feel an important part of what the world kingdom is doing. And when we do that, the rest of the people of God will follow along. They'll be in our hand. The kingdom of God swallowed up by the kingdom of this world. And it would be a win not only with weapons, Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar had already won with weapons. But it would not only be a win with weapons, it would be a win from the inside. Right? You, you're one of us now. All your distinctiveness is erased now. See, the world kingdom understands very well that the best victory is the victory over minds and hearts. Weapons and threats and violence and enslavement and drugs and prison come alongside that. But, but the world kingdom understands very well that the best victory is the victory of hearts and minds. And then the chief of the eunuchs, the chief of staff, also decided to change names. It's kind of like, well, why not? Let's just do the whole thing. Give new identity. You are Babylonians now. That's what your name says. Maybe there was a ceremony to go with that, like a, a Babylonian version of baptism. It's meant to be a very thorough rebranding with a deep program so that God's people lose their distinctiveness in the deepest way. Not only are you in Babylon now, but you are Babylonians now. We made you 
Babylonians. Not only are you in the kingdom of this world now, but you are of the kingdom of this world. You are citizens with us. The identity in Christ, the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven, is meant to be erased. You are baptized Babylonians now. That's the point of what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, what the world kingdom is doing. Now, it's all very spelled out on the page of Scripture and in the official program of Babylon. It is a defined three-year program. It's not always like that. There are more subtle ways, not as detectable in a curriculum, not as clean-cut, maybe just constant pressures, drip, drip. When the World Kingdom's media keeps the news stories coming, it's not really news, wildly disproportionate to what is actually news, when the world media keeps the news stories coming that, hey, so-and-so is also gay now. And this is obviously the best way to educate children. When we keep hearing that the government is obviously the most qualified to educate your children. When you keep hearing that gender is never settled, is certainly not biologically determined. All of that has a way of shaping, influencing, normalizing, subverting next generations. Just get the youth to hear more of it, to think more on it, to be exposed to more of it. Pretty soon you, you bring down the wall of resistance Pretty soon you have laid a new foundation, at least in their ears and then in their minds and then in their hearts. Well, everyone thinks this way. A little more Babylon here and a little more Babylon there. See, it's not always an intense, defined program. Babylon has a very intense three-year program. It doesn't have to be three years. Don't even have to let the youth know that they're in a program. And definitely don't tell their parents. Kind of like the frog in the water set to boiling. In all of this, the main point for Babylon, the main point for Babylon in regards to Daniel is, will Daniel and the three who are with him Will they pass the assimilation test of Babylon as opposed to the distinctiveness test of God? After three years, they were to stand before the king. Will they pass the assimilation test? Have they assimilated well? Are they sufficiently Babylonian now? Will they have stopped being distinctively of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom 
of Christ? Will they have stopped being distinctively set apart for Jesus? And then in all of this darkness, a little light shines. It's a powerful light, but it is a little light. The Spirit of Christ dwelling within the heart of one. You could think of all the things going on together to press down on Daniel, right? How would a young man in Babylon wanting to serve the Lord, how would, how would they think? Our king, my king, Jehoiakim, has been taken captive. Even the vessels of the house of God are now in the treasury of the gods of Babylon. And to top it off, this is what our God, this is what my God has done with his people. That could all be so disheartening. Here we are pressed into a rigorous program intent on molding us into Babylonians. What is a child of God meant to do? Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that the king drank. The key here is in the word defile. God's people for his kingdom had dietary laws, food laws, set by God himself. The food laws had as purpose to keep God's people distinct. Not because the food was bad. No, we eat differently because we are different. Because we are God's people in Christ. And we listen to him. And because we are of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, Right. God gave the distinctiveness laws. And here Daniel chooses for distinctiveness in the matter of food. Doing this, Daniel chooses for the kingdom of Christ. I will not defile myself with the king's food or with the wine of the king. Distinctiveness. I will remain different, not to be different, not to be stubborn in that sort of way, not to be obnoxious, not for the sake of irritating Babylonians. No, different for God. Distinctiveness in the matter of clean and unclean. We know that later on with the coming of the Lord Jesus, the food laws changed. No unclean foods anymore. can read that in Acts 10. But in the time in which Daniel lived, the food laws were a big part of the distinctiveness of God's people. God gave a rule which made a distinction between clean and unclean to represent the distinction between sin and not sin in a very practical way, in a daily way maybe three times a day. By refusing to defile himself, Daniel was choosing not simply a diet, but choosing for the whole package of God's kingdom in Christ, which the king, which kingdom goes against and beyond sin and its destructiveness. 
Daniel found a way to be, to remain distinct for God, which he would also have to pursue with wisdom and courage, and more on that a little bit later. That's something that would follow. He would have to be courageous, but also wise in the way forward. In all of this, this is Daniel's faith in Christ, his Christ-likeness. Here I make a choice. I set it upon my heart. I resolve to not defile myself, to not become all Babylonian. And that is God's faithful love in Christ shining through. The fire has not gone out. A new beginning. When everything, when everything of the kingdom of God had gone under into the darkness of Babylon, here the light shines again or still. This is the power, the power of God's gracious work not being snuffed out, but being renewed, rekindled. See, Daniel understood by the grace of God. He understood that above and beyond the test of three years, after which he would stand before the king of Babylon, above that test, there was a far greater test, a higher test that he was undergoing to the king of kings, Jesus the Christ. This is something that God's grace gives him to see. It's not about how successful I will be when I stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar. It's not about how successful I will be and how accepted in the kingdom of this world. I stand before God the King. And the test is the test of my faith in Him. And certainly Daniel didn't have to be ignorant and obnoxious before the world kingdom. Don't have to go out of my way to make a scene. As some Christians think it means you have to make a scene if you're going to make a stand. No, but nevertheless, I am first of all in this my small corner. I am of Christ. And this is a test of my faith in God. How will I pass that test to remain different for the kingdom of Christ? There is a difference, you see, between the people of God and the people not of God. There is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And that, different, that difference cuts right through where you and I are now even with worldly Babylon all around. Daniel lived long ago, far away, in different circumstances. But his baptism, we can say that, his baptism, like ours, meant something. I am baptized. That means I am distinguished from the children of unbelievers. That means something. That means don't be swallowed up by Babylon. Be faithful to Christ and His kingdom. Resolve, put it on your heart to be for Him always.
Doing this, Daniel was not disappointed. We doing this, we, we will never be disappointed. Being distinct for a different kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. God is faithful. God is faithful in love. God is almighty in power. When we take our stand distinct for him, he does see his people through without fail. Amen. Let us stand and we will sing Psalm 81 stanzas 9, 10, 11, and 12. Merciful Heavenly God and Father, we thank you for your wondrous grace and power to redeem a people from the kingdom of darkness for your kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of glory. And we thank you, Lord, that you have included us by your grace. Lord, you also give us warning and instruction. You call us to remain distinct for you in holiness, seeking your will, setting our hearts on you and on your word of truth. 
Lord, there is much pressure around us and on us, and even very close by from our own sinful flesh. We pray for your powerful and gracious work to keep us faithful and to lead us on. And Lord God, we pray that we may delight in being for your kingdom because in your kingdom there is life and freedom and peace and righteousness. Lord, we pray that others may be drawn to Christ by your grace and power, that others too may know the joy of freedom, salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will bring others to the joy of your kingdom. And Lord, use us as you would where we are. Help us to be faithful. Also, when it's difficult, give us the courage. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you will continue to be with your people in this world. We know that there are people of yours in other places who suffer far more than we do in many ways. Remember them in your compassion and help them under the oppression of the kingdom of darkness. Lord, we give our gifts to you, acknowledging that it is from what you have given us first that we give now in worship to you, receive these gifts and bless them in the care and in the distribution of the deacons. Look upon us in grace and hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. We will now serve the Lord with our thank offering. Our gifts will be received for safe families. And as you can see in the bulletin, Safe Families is a Christian-based ministry fueled by compassion to keep children safe and families together here in the Fraser Valley. So our gifts are for the work of the deacons to support safe families. After we have given our gifts, let us stand and sing Psalm 102, stanzas 10 and 11.
receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Congratulations and uh, the Lord bless you in, in raising your 12 years.